He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, and joining me, Mr. Sean Cunningham from ABC10. What's going on, Sean? Oh man, can I? I I'm doing wonderful because uh, even though in the midst of just chaos in the kingdom, uh, I got a day off today, man. It was sweet. What? <laughs> I got to. Oh, dude, it, it was so needed. These days have been just a nightmare. I mean, just. Look, it beats digging a ditch, but at the same time, like <laughs> I'm I'm spent, man. I'm spent. So I'm I'm thrilled to be here, thrilled to be talking with you, man. And uh more importantly, I'm just so thrilled to be in my home. I, I should cozy up on the couch real quick. Like it's uh I, I'm spending I'm gonna enjoy this day for sure, man. I I too am going to enjoy this day. I I'm still um wearing like a sweatshirt and sweatpants and uh I'm going to spend some time today watching TV and just kind of down, like bringing it down, you know, kind of try to clear the brain, uh, probably take the wife out to dinner. It's been a little, yeah, it's been a little while since like when things like this happen, Sean, I, 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 the strain and stress that it puts on us over like a short period of time. I, it's just crazy. And it's crazy because we have a passion for this. So we don't let the motor stop. And that's the thing. You can't shift into idle. You, you, you have to go. So, you know, I got to the arena at like 10 o'clock on a, on Friday morning for shoot around. And I didn't leave until midnight. I got back to the arena, you know, Saturday midday and don't leave until midnight Sunday. I get up to walk the dogs. Luke Walden gets fired just as I'm ready to sit down and watch football. Um, and we're back. And then again, on Monday, we're there for shoot around at 10, 30. I actually drove home and drove back, did some mm. D'Lo and Casey, uh, shout out to my guys on 1320 yeah. and then, and then jumped right back into game coverage and it's chaos and it's horrible and it's not fun, but then you, we have a lot of legwork to do still, because this is that moment where the story loosens up and we start to learn a lot more about how things unfolded. And, you know, we read some things from our friends like Sam Amick and may or may not have sat by Sam last night at the game. <laughs> uh, but then I also had some important phone calls with different people today. And uh, so we're going to get into a lot of craziness. We're going to break down some of the wildness, some of the we're going to try to explain how some of this played out. And and hopefully, um, I mean, it, it's not we're not going to stand behind something or, or like maybe we'll blow some things up. Uh, that we we don't understand why it happened that way. But before we do that, um, I'm going to get some business out of the way. Number Let's one, uh, you got a new intro, uh, which I'm super excited about. Uh, Mr. Paul Jinkerson, he he basically created that for for us. It's called oh, Cal, Cowbell Crazy. And so big shout out to Paul Jinkerson. Uh, Very jazzy. John, very jazzy. I like it. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's late, the- and it's got the cowbell like ding, ding, ding. I, 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 I dig <laughs> it. I, I think it's awesome. 
And I, you know, he, he composed that himself for us. But I so, also think there's like, I also think that Vivek Ranadive might like it because he wants a, you know, jazz conductor and yeah. Like, yeah, there's a little bit of like, you know, just a little tinge of irony. There like is some, I, oh, there we yeah. go. There we go. And you know what? I think it's cool because we're, when you start out on, on your own again, like I'm doing right now, and Sean is still ABC 10. So, I mean, he's got his full-time thing and I'm doing, you know, a, I'm doing ESPN 1320 and I'm, I'm also creating something at the King's Beat. When you can reach out to a fan base and say, hey, I'm doing something different. I could use a hand. And someone like this, who's extremely talented, mm-hmm. goes, okay, I got you and creates an intro and an outro for incredible for the podcast that's amazing and so that brings me to uh brickhouse industries uh jim over there who created logos and john bull who jumped on board and tried to help us out in the beginning as well um like it's such an amazing community uh, of kings fans and the supporters are you know i just want to say thank you and you know i guess we're we're two days before Thanksgiving. So I will give my thanks now to all of yeah. you. Uh, and then one more reminder. Um, we've got, uh, we've got like another, I'll run it until like Wednesday. If, if you get in as a paid subscriber between now and Wednesday, um, you're going to get the invite to the first King's Beat happy hour, which I'm going to set up for next week. And cool. we're, there's a little lull after Thanksgiving and before the holiday, the Christmas holiday really kicks up and we're going to set up, you know, it'll be like an hour, hour and a half, uh, where, you know, if you can be there the whole time, then that's cool. If you, if you can't, you just want to duck in and hang out and chat basketball, um, get some crazy stories, have a good time. Um, again, I'm going to sit here in my bar maybe I'll make uh, an old fashioned or two for myself. Um, or nine. maybe, <laughs> maybe Sean somehow can bust out and drive from, downtown sacramento all the way up the hill and hang out with me here if not we'll do something on zoom uh, but if if you want to jump on board and you want to be part of it it's going to be a good time um you know virtual happy hour and uh so jump on with a paid subscription and you know it would be greatly appreciated but also uh that's kind of what we're going to do here we're going to give you an inside look into who we are and what we do and uh you're going to get to you know share stories or give you know, feedback on what you're liking and what you're not liking, and we'll kind of move forward. Um, so, Sean, let's get into this. Uh, it's been, I don't know, what, what do we call this, 72 hours, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Luke Walden out as head coach. We had the emergency pod on Sunday um, from wine, uh, no, Vine and Grain, which was cool yeah. for them to host us. Some people out there are like, well, the music was you know, too much. And I, we'll just tell you, we don't have options for those things. Like when we're out in, we can't just like sit down in the doco out with, you know, there are people who ride by with like bicycles with boom boxes strapped to them playing loud music. And there, you know, strange things happen outside of the doco. So we don't always have somewhere to sit. Like when we're at home, it's fine. We've got good mics. We're, we're basically doing a podcast in podcast studios uh, but when we're both out in, at the arena and we have something that's breaking and happening, sometimes you're going to get that where we've yeah. got to go on location. And it was Sean, cool to hear the it was cool to hear the feedback though because it is something for us to keep in mind. But uh, 
yeah, like uh, sometimes we just have to make the best of it. And um, it was either that or like not do one or put one off even farther. And I was like, I think we got to do this now. Like we got to, yeah. you know, we just have to. So uh, it was great. Uh, I, we had someone request pictures of the charcuterie board, which would have been fun. And uh, that's, that's our bad. We should. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a food taking picture guy. I'm not a food taking picture guy either. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just not like, I take pictures of a lot of stuff and I, that, that's just not one of them. But if you, you know, catch me at a concert i'll take too many so uh yeah it was it was a great place to hang out i think it was very much needed and uh it, it was good to hear the feedback both positive and negative but i think overwhelmingly like people uh really enjoyed our conversation not only about luke but where things are and especially alvin and i think if you had any curiosity about alvin and maybe you don't you don't really watch the whole league you're just a kind of a centric kings fan and um, there might be some things you don't know about Alvin or anything like that. Last night, I think, was a pretty telling uh, two press conferences with him, both before and after that debacle against a very shorthanded Sixers team. And you got to see a little bit about his character, his expectations, his professionalism, and his candor. And uh, it was like Alvin of old, and it was, it was great. It was great to see. Um, the game was awful. Uh, you know, I don't Awful. think, I think we can all realize that we all know this is bigger than coaching. No one has a magic wand. You could bring Phil Jackson and his prime in here right now. And I don't know that he's going to cure all these ills because as we talked about James over the past couple of weeks, they have a lot of problems, a lot of problems, you know, and in a way, the way that you just said that the Kings tried to fix this once by bringing in George Carl, they, they had a situation spin out like this where the team quit and they tried to bring in a coaching legend and that team ate George Carl alive. I mean, it was a landslide. Yeah. He had no chance and he didn't give himself a chance. He made his own mistakes. Well, but at the same time, you it's, know. it's what I always argue. Uh, you didn't get George Carl, but you definitely got George Carl's ego. You know, George Carl of, of old, would have been from yesteryear would have been great. And maybe he needed it. And, you know, but the ego of George Carl, it, look, and I love George Carl. I, I can talk George Carl basketball all day. I, I could listen to him talk all day. I, I used to love engaging with him when he would come in as a visiting head coach. I just Me felt too. like I always learned something. So I still consider myself lucky to have been able to cover a George Carl basketball team, but it was just super chaotic. But again, it's like the, I to me the reason it didn't work were many reasons, but I think a big reason was is like George wasn't George, but you still had the ego there, and he just loves the attention and the limelight, and loves the he he wants everything to be about him, and that's a um, I get it. There's people like that. It doesn't make him a bad person, but you you, you kind of need what King George was before you know we got him in Sacramento because. Uh, he was able to back up a lot of that ego and he was brilliant. He was, he's absolutely brilliant. He was a shell of himself when he came to Sacramento. Yeah, he was. I mean, it's very unfortunate. He was a yeah. complete shell of himself. I, I totally agree with you going to the visiting locker room when George Carl was there was to me, it was, it was a highlight. He was my favorite, favorite coach to go over to the other side, him and then Popovich. And then I'll even say this, um, Popovich is your favorite among your favorites. Yeah, because That's if you wild. got Pop in the right mood and you got him talking about the right thing, it right. was brilliance. And that's where I was always 
I, like, again, I have a curious mind. I, I like to listen. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell people this too. There came a point where I wouldn't go to a Dave Yeager pregame because Dave Yeager had a, a battle behind the scenes with Ron Tillery. And you <laughs> would go and it would be just like me and Ron Tillery and Dave Yeager or maybe one other person. And it would get so uncomfortable. They did not like each other at all. It was very awkward and very weird. And I had no idea what to make of it. All I knew is there wasn't really a question that you could ask that was going to go over well at all while these two were literally going at it the whole time. And I don't even know how you have that relationship with a head coach, all the like that being so combative all the time. And it wasn't just Ron. It was, it was Dave Yeager as well. Um, and that's just not the Yeager that I think Dave, when he knew he did things wrong in Memphis, uh, just the way he handled media and the way he handled, because in Memphis, it's, there, there's even less media than there mm -hmm. is in Sacramento. And when he came to Sacramento, he, he thought, okay, I'm going to try to do this a different way. And we've seen that with a couple of coaches where like, man, I learned, I learned my mistakes and I'm going to try to be better about certain things. And I think that's one thing where Dave tried to build relationships where he didn't in the past. And, and so sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but it's certainly for, for Dave, I think the approach was at least he gave it the college try the second time around yeah. and, and we'll see, we'll see how, if it, if it works out where he gets back into being a head coach, because the way you handle media is, is a huge part of that job. Huge. And, and I think that maybe that is the, like the segue really to the full Alvin Gentry discussion. He was good. He was, so good. He, he was good. Like for, Monty McNair gave us nothing the day before. I thought Alvin Gentry, even though it was a lot of stuff that people did not want to hear about his relationship with Luke and about him wanting to support Luke and uh, and you know that's why he came to Sacramento. At the same time, he threw some barbs at the players where Luke, I just never felt like he would never he, go there. He wanted to throw the barbs, and, and Dave didn't either. Dave was an anti he did not uh, negotiate with players through the press. Right. And, and it's, it's a little bit, I was telling somebody last night, I went out, I, I, I needed a beverage after last night. Uh, <laughs> and so had a group and I, I literally uh, was, was kind of saying, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit Malone-ish, Michael Malone, because Michael would come out and he, would, he had no problem calling people out. Now mm -hmm. they'll do it to the face too, but right from the get-go, like, Alvin establishes a tone. He says, well, there's not going to really be a whole lot of change in philosophy. This is a lot of Luke stuff. It is my offense. Like there are, there are things that we can control that we need to get back, but the emphasis on the players and De'Aaron Fox, to his credit said that that morning of uh, the, after shoot around that we were at. Mm -hmm. um, and he's been saying that, you know, especially, I mean, I think he puts a lot of it on himself. He knows he sucks right now. He knows that the shooting isn't there. He may not, you know, he may not communicate it the right way that people want to hear it, yeah, but certainly uh, he knows it's on him, and I think he's waiting for himself to break out of whatever shooting funk. Uh, I think he's getting there, but they're coming as hollow stats right now. I mean, that you're not winning, so um, you know. I think he realizes there's going to be a tinkering moment, but Alvin 
said that, hey, we're not going to really mess around too much. Like this is going to be same philosophy. I think I can, it's, it's up to me to get the best out of these players. Absolutely. Then the game is played against a shorthanded Sixers team with no Simmons. Duh, we know why. No Embiid, who's out with COVID. Yep. No Tobias Harris, who has a hip injury. And then no Seth Curry. <laughs> so you're yeah. out there against the likes of George Niang, Shake Milton, who somehow kicks King's ass every single every single time he plays That's him. true. Matisse yep. Thibel, who's a fantastic talent, but probably not the most offensive-oriented guy you've seen in your life. And he, His career high is 20. I looked yeah. because I thought he might get it last night. He did not. <laughs> he did not. I, but I, I did it early in the first quarter. I'm like, oh, man, he's going to Jason Smith this thing. Some like, guy named, by the way, some guy named Paul Reed, who jokes were being made that sounds like an insurance agent, possibly a substitute science teacher. Um, I like Paul Reed. I, didn't he go to Minnesota? I, I, no, I think he, so. He did. But it was just like, you're seeing these names that are not the, like, I just think of the, run-of-the-mill yeah. Kings fan who might go to one or two games if they're lucky every year and they're sitting down and they're like oh I can't wait for this Sixers matchup who knows maybe this the trade might have happened they bought their they bought their you know their tickets back in July and this is what they got and again look that's part of basketball it's part of the NBA and they're sitting down going who the f is Paul Reed <laughs> you know who is who is this guy George Niang and, and Dude, they get, wanna, they get throttled yeah, one of my first A's games ever, <laughs> I, I went as a kid, and Vance Law started in right field for Jose Canseco, and it was like replacement day. Like, all yes. around, it was it was so disappointing. Like, a- every single one of the stars were sitting on the bench, and you're like, I can't believe that this is the game I get to go to. So, right. I-, I get that. And that's kind of what, like, Philly – they're just a shell and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Didn't matter. I, they crushed them. They absolutely crushed them. And it wasn't anything that they did. It was all self-inflicted by the Kings. And it, it ever, I think every, we're talking about it last week or the last podcast. It's like, what does this team do well? And it's, I, I honestly can't answer that answer. I have no answer for that because I had, this team is so, mind effed that, that everything is magnified the pressure mounts they put it all on themselves they shoot themselves in the foot they have bad combinations of people out there uh when they shouldn't the playmaking stinks they can't and then when you add poor shooting on top of that they, they even out rebounded philly and drummond yep. had like 22 boards or something like 23 that. yeah Boy, i mean but those offensive he ones, yeah he did wow. i looked at jason jones who it was great to see him at the game because i know he's a laker yeah. fan i go did, did, I said Andre Drummond is bigger than what he was in LA last year. Yeah, I mean he was <laughs> so, a he was a like a gigantic, and all he did was pass. I was like, I didn't know Andre Drummond. You could run a whole offense through him. That's what they did. They put him out there and they said, okay, we got we got like seven randos. We're just gonna have right. run off of screens and. And Drummond's just going to find him. He found guys on skip passes. He he was like, he made a bunch of really nice passes. And I thought, wow, this is not the Andre Drummond that I expected. And the second thought I was, was, man, I bet you the Kings are going to sign him next year. Just because <laughs> you're like, he did enough to like impress people. Sean and he did the, it against the Kings, which let, let's be honest, like when that happens, sometimes they end up on the Kings. <laughs> well, yeah, he's going to Derek Smith this thing. Yeah. So so I'll just uh, I'll read a couple of numbers from the fourth quarter. Um, 
the Kings went into the fourth. And did they have a lead heading into the fourth? They did. They were down four. Well, they were right? down four. The game before. Um, no, the Kings were up oh. eighty-two to seventy-seven going okay. to the fourth quarter. They were up five in the fourth quarter. They scored yeah. twelve points. Twelve points. Four of nineteen from the field. 0 of 10 from the three-point line, including 0 of 4 from Buddy Heald. Um, they, they had one assist. They scored, again, 12 total points, and they ran a negative 13 and got hammered. I, I don't How many free throws? How many free throws? Uh, that's a good question. Free throws. They went four of six, but it, it's the telling, telling signs. Yeah. Number one, 0 of 2 for Harrison Barnes. Rashawn Holmes, after dominating the third in eight minutes, zero for zero. And he got hit in the face. And rebounding in the fourth quarter, zero. Yeah. Zero rebounds in the fourth quarter for How many Rashawn minutes? Holmes. Eight minutes. He yeah, played he eight was, minutes. He, I remember he left with, he had that thing with his eye. I'm glad his mom caught, uh, uh, reminded me that he doesn't have contacts anymore. I thought maybe he had a problem with the contact, but. Yeah. Um, and, and, and by the way, I want to talk for Sean Holmes in, in a minute um, before yeah. we get to the end of this game. But uh, you just look at the way that played out. I mean, the ball stagnates. I, I asked Alvin, I was like, do they break plays? I mean, we, we, we did ask. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I know it's your offense. And, and he got to this point in his post game last night where he's just like, I don't care what the back of the jersey says. We're, we're, so you go from we're going to have these same philosophies to all of a sudden, you know, I mean, look, Alvin didn't want the interim tag. You're going to be coaching 60 games. I don't even think it's fair that we should call him an interim head coach. Like you're going to, you're going to, you're the head coach. Like yeah, 60, interim head coach 65. for 60, 65 games. So I don't think it's fair. I realize it's still an interim head coach. That's, that's great. But Alvin's going to do it his way. And that's why, even after one game, he goes from, oh, same philosophies, all this other stuff, and to where he's like, okay, it's going to be the back. I don't care what the back of the jersey says. You know, we're going to find people who are going to compete. Great. I love hearing that. We're not hearing it just from Tristan Thompson. Fantastic. Yep. But are you really going to bench De'Aaron Fox? Are you really going to bench Buddy Heald? Which, again, this Fox team was team- one of five in the fourth quarter. He missed, I think, three shots in the final two minutes where yeah. he short- short-armed everything. I've heard concerns that this team is not in good shape, that that's one thing that Luke did not do well is that he did not push them. Although that may or may not be the case. Uh, But if you're fading every single time in the fourth quarter, I mean, Sean, I'm a guy who played football at Nevada union. We did nothing but run and run and run and run. And then we ran some more. And (laughs) when we had people come up to play us a bunch of five foot 10 white guys, uh, we would get to the fourth quarter and we're at 2,800 feet of elevation and we were in incredible shape and we would run people off the field. That was, that was minor magic. It was that we destroyed you because we were in better shape than you and we had you at elevation and there's nothing you could do. And I kind of look at this team and say, okay, I, I see that. De'Aaron Fox short-armed every single shot in the final three minutes of the game, two minutes of the game front rimmed everything he did not have the same lift he doesn't have the same lift that he's had or the same quickness that he had in the past they got to figure it out man yeah and, and alvin's and, in a tough spot and they live by the buddy they die by the buddy we've talked live about by that. the buddy die by the buddy and, and i looked at you at one point and i'm like okay well this is this this is what they're waiting for 
because the ball stagnates. They can't get in the paint for some reason. <laughs> you can't, it's just, and, and we talked about it like a week ago. I said, I was really concerned because again, I'm even shocked. And I didn't even think this team was going to be any damn good. So like I even said, I said, where's this team going to be if in December Harrison Barnes becomes the Harrison Barnes we know, which is I'm going to shoot eight to 12 times, not be this aggressive force that we did. He started off phenomenally in the five and five start. And I said, if not with, if without Harrison Barnes, where would this team be? And I was encouraged because I said, De'Aaron Fox isn't playing up to speed, up to this De'Aaron Fox that we know, the one that you used to rely on to have to score 25 points for this team to win. And they were, they were competing. They were in games and they were winning. Mm-hmm. Well, now you don't have that Harrison Barnes. Now the defense doesn't look like anything it looked like weeks ago. The ball movement still isn't there. You still don't have playmakers. And you're not a good rebounding team, although you have had some rebounding success of late going a little bit bigger. The three-guard lineup is almost out the window. And, like, again, what does this team do well? Being inconsistent is not something – this is just your identity. Like, that's just what you are. Even Davion Mitchell, who we haven't talked to in a long time, you know, last time I think we talked to is our identity is we play hard. Okay, but you're not even doing that. Like, (laughs) it looks like you're trying hard at times, some of you. So I do – wonder how alvin will navigate that because it's going to come from a nothing to lose standpoint like what do you have to lose go out there how about this the chemezi metu experiment went from five games starting to dnp yeah i mean we were already (laughs) at that stage weren't we i mean that's where we were we were at that stage last week with luke welton this last weekend with luke welton where it's let's just throw it up against the wall and see what sticks something's got to stick and so even i thought that that was the the Alvin quote, like, if guys aren't doing it, then I'm going to find someone else who will. Like, I'm going to keep sifting through the players on the sidelines. We'll find somebody. But I thought in that specific game, he probably should have found somebody else because if everyone is cold. And, you know, I kind of want to – first of all, we want to call out Fox all the time, and fans are calling out Fox all the time, and they're putting so much blame on Fox. Well, let's just – Harrison Barnes has just disappeared. Yeah, where are we at? He's not playing. Right. Like, and I know he's still hustling and I know he's still grabbing rebounds. I know he's frustrated, but you just can't go from 28 a game in the first five to to nothing to 10. And that's what we're seeing. And for as much as everyone loves Tyrese Halliburton, the lobs to Rashawn Holmes were incredible. Everything was great. He had zero points. And I think that gives him it's something like five of the last seven where he hasn't scored in double figures. That is killing that. If you want to blame De'Aaron Fox, right. You have to look at Tyrese Halliburton and say, Hey man, we need you to space the floor. Davion Mitchell can't have more three point attempts than, than Tyrese Halliburton on the season. Halliburton can't be the sixth or seventh highest volume three point shooter. He has to space the floor for De'Aaron Fox. That is part of his job, and he is not coming through at all. His points per game are plummeting, and I feel bad for for Rashawn Holmes because I I put in there, you know, Rashawn Holmes disappears, and his mom gets mad at me on Twitter for saying he disappears. Well, you score zero points and have zero rebounds in the fourth quarter in eight minutes, that's a problem. And it's, it's not just on him because he relies so heavily on Tyrese Halliburton in the pick and roll. Halliburton and him were brilliant in the third quarter in the pick and roll. And then in the fourth Halliburton, uh, whether it was that Rashawn Holmes couldn't shake his man going up to the rim 
or Halliburton couldn't actually shoot. He he didn't go with a, a lob or anything else. He didn't go with a floater or anything else. He kept kicking it backwards to De'Aaron Fox and is like, okay, now you got six seconds on the shot clock and we need you to shoot. And your strong suit is not shooting from the perimeter. So he's trying to break it into the lane and he kept coming up empty. So I, I put a lot of what happened there. Where is Harrison Barnes calling for the, the ball in the other corner? When Halliburton's coming down the right side, Harrison Barnes should be calling for the ball in the corner. Buddy Hield should be at the elbow ready to shoot the three ball. The ball kept going back to De'Aaron Fox, which is almost in that situation, your worst option. He's the worst three-point shooter out of the lot. And now he's got to try to create off the dribble on an expiring shot clock. And yeah. so the whole entire system broke down. And I, I, I don't just want to say, hey, De'Aaron Fox should go one of five from the field in the fourth quarter. Well, at least he hit one shot because not many people did. They went like four of 16 from the field in the fourth. Like, yeah. At least he hit a shot. You know, where were you, Harrison Barnes? Where were you, Tyrese Halliburton? Where were you, Rashawn Holmes? With goose eggs, literal goose eggs in the fourth quarter. Everything is just snowballing, and they have so many issues. And I never thought, like, I mean, it was pointed out today in Amick's column with the athletic. It's like, it's something that I've always said, but it was never because, you know, my thing was all playmaking. You know that, like, I would have Halliburton coming off the bench. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean it solves all these problems, but like, it just makes more sense to me because you need the playmaking off that bench. The one thing you don't want to see because you need Buddy Heald is you don't want to see Buddy Heald having to make plays <laughs> and dribble, dribble, dribbling the basketball. Like, that's just a bad thing. You don't want to see that visual. But Buddy Heald is part of that best five lineup. It's it's Fox, it's Heald, it's Barnes, and it's Holmes and Mitchell. So, like, but, but Sean, I'm not saying start that. No, I'm not saying start that at all. Don't get me wrong. But no, it's no, like, but I we, never, I never thought I would see a net rating with Halliburton of the team's best net rating that Halliburton wouldn't be a part of that five. So look, uh, and Buddy Hield is going to be part of that, that five. I'm just going to point this out. In the first half, Buddy Hield, five of eight, four of six from three. He's got 16 points. In, that 16, in those 16 uh, points, he ran a negative eight because he yeah. left his, his shooter wide open every single time, and they just figured out who it was that Buddy's guarding, and we'll find that guy, and he'll hit an open three. Yep, 100%. So he. He goes for 16 points on five of eight shooting. And then in the second half, I think he, he finishes finished at the half with 16. Well, he had 16 at the half. The second half, Buddy Hield scored. He had yeah, 14 in that first quarter, 16 at the half. Yeah. A whopping five points on two of seven shooting and one yeah. of five from three. He just faded Lib and he didn't score in the fourth. <laughs> and, you know, he just completely faded. And so, like, uh, it doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't matter who's coaching this team. If the players look the way they look right now, they're not going to win any games at all. And so that's it. Like, it, are you just not going to win? Like, that's that was a funny thing that Alvin kept saying. We just got to get a W. That's it. Yeah, and like they feel a win can cure so much. And and to a certain degree, they might be right. But it, you're, you're, you're still exposed. You have all these problems. Like, teams know – they know that what's going to happen with the Kings. You're going to hope that they don't shoot well, and you're going yep. to punch them in the mouth. And look at what, look what Tristan Thompson said after the game the other night, last night. Rashawn Holmes gets hit in the face. No one, no one retaliates. No, not that they had to like start a melee, but no one retaliates with a hard pick. No one like answers for it. Nobody like shows any of that. They wilted. They completely wilted. And he's I thought, right. 
and he came in and he played hard. I thought Tristan Thompson, like in his minutes in the second half, actually, I thought there was a moment where you probably should have gone back to him and said, Hey, look, we can't do anything. Go ahead and do what right. you're doing. Just what, try, try play bully ball and see what you can do. And then look at Rashawn after the game comes in to the media room. I missed. I've it. never seen him like that. Oh, you, you meant well. I didn't even post it because he was so like. I didn't I get down there in posted. time. He the, came the audio, right in. Yeah, he came right in. He was in his full uniform. He came in. Uh, he sat there, pissed off. And if you think Fox was bad in like that Friday game and maybe even the game before that. Yeah. Uh, this was 110 times worse. I've never seen him like this. He was uncooperative. He was pissed. He was short answered. The microphone didn't really work very well because he came in so quickly. Um, I got it. Maybe I will post it uh, just for the sake of this conversation. So you got, you, know, you might be able to transfer, you know, kind of at least see the vibe. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was awkward. It was so awkward. He, it lasted, I think a minute and a half, maybe two minutes and he was done. I mean, he may have said six words the entire time at most in, in one of the questions. My point is, Rashawn usually comes in and, and is a talkative presence. Um, he, he likes that role that he has. You know, he likes the, being one of the guys that you can go to to talk about the good and the bad of this team. He thinks it's his team. He knows he's the heart and soul of this team. And this guy looked like he got his dog thrown off a cliff and punted off a bridge like in anchorman like yeah. it was just absolute i thought he was gonna cry i really did now granted he got hit in the eye not that he looked that he was gonna cry because he was sad the guy looked absolutely pissed off and wanted well, nothing pissed. to be there he's pissed because he had 10 points in the third quarter alone it was pick and roll pick and roll pick and roll with him making highlight reel dunks and highlight reel putbacks and then he gets an over in the fourth because He's not a guy who creates for himself and he has to rely on other people to do their job in order for him to do his job. Yeah. And that didn't work out. And then on top of that, I think that there's a little bit of like the, here we go again, but also there's a little bit of an embarrassment when Andre Drummond has in in the fourth quarter alone has 10 rebounds and you have zero. So, so that's a problem. When, you know, a dude lays on you and, and shoves you around in the fourth quarter and got a bunch of, uh, a bunch of offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter. And you know what he, he had four offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter and second chance points. They had four to the Kings too. So, you know, again, they just beat the Kings on the little things. The Kings couldn't, when they needed a stop and they needed to get back into it, they actually played well defensively for stretches in the fourth and couldn't get the rebound to complete the, the play. And some of that's on him, but also, again, we talk about this all the time. When some of these players get frustrated on one end of the floor, it ends up playing out on the other end of the court. Yeah. And so I, I don't I don't fully blame him, but at the same time, you know, what do you They're do? A, you keep calling timeouts? He, he, he did. Like Alvin did. He, I thought he was going to run out of timeouts by the five-minute mark. He left one on the board. He, he was so animated. He's trying to get them to run. You mentioned Andre Drummond, who looks enormous right now. How are you not running? Like, just run. And, and he's flailing his arms. Alvin Gentry, who did this, by the way, while in, being Luke Walton's associate head coach, just flailing his arms to Tyrese Halliburton the entire time. I didn't see the one he did it to Fox, but I was told he also did it to Fox. Yeah, uh, I, I kept seeing it to Halliburton, which is odd because Fox is the one I always criticize for being the Ferrari who want, you know, just doesn't keep his foot on the pedal. And this team isn't running. And, and, and I know that's a huge 
point of emphasis. Alvin said it in the post game uh, yep. press conference. If you're not going to run, we're not going to play you. And that's why I'm like, okay, bet. <laughs> Let, yeah. let's let, let's see how that works out for you let's see if you're gonna do it. i i hope to see it because um at least you're a man of your word and you're just searching for anything it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make you better obviously pulling deer and fox off the floor won't make you better you're not going to win games but hopefully there's a message sent there uh, i don't i don't know what it's what it's going to be there's a lot of players that need to hear it and I, you know i got to the point about rishon holmes james <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you'll relate to this. You do come from sports. I played baseball my whole life. You played football. I had football a little bit, but I don't, re- I don't remember having a moment like this in football, but sometimes you just need to fight. This team looks like they need to fight. Someone needs to, someone, they need to peg a dude on the team to just go up and chuck a ball at whoever. I don't care. Start a brawl. Now I'm not saying these guys need to hate each other, but they're too nice. And in baseball, sometimes you're going in spikes up. Sometimes you're throwing at somebody other times there's so many ways to just irk a teammate in baseball which i love and we used to do it all the time and and it works you know there's that old adage like if you're in if you're not the you're not the um toughest guy in the room you walk up to the toughest guy in the room and you just show an aggression to so that they can respect you a little bit more so that you don't get your ass beat by them one day like you just do it this this team just looks like they need to fight go fight just go fight you know, I, I'm with you. Out. I'm with you. Like either that or just go, go trade somebody for Isaiah Stewart. Like, well, yeah. Like, honestly, like, well, that's, it's funny you mentioned that because it's going to be, the, the heat is going to mount on Bonnie McNair. And I, I you know, I almost yeah. don't think it's going to be like, it's funny because it's, it's going to be fair and it's not going to be fair because look, I know everyone thinks, Oh, it's a 15 year playoff drought. Bonnie's been here a year and a half, two years, almost like, it's yeah. like, like for him, it's two years. Alvin Gentry went out of his way to say under the Luca Walton era, it was a three-year drought. So that drought isn't 15 years, it's three years. So anything you can't, you have no control of anything that happened before you got there. So yep. um, yeah, man, it's going to be, <laughs> it could be some tough sledding, man. The schedule isn't getting any easier. No, the schedule, the schedule gets absolutely brutal. Okay. So we've, we've covered, we typically aren't going to go through one loss like this, but at the same time, I think this loss, because you hit a hard reboot, you fire a head coach, you expect the team to come out and at least try harder. I thought they were good for probably three quarters, but really not that good because you're playing against a team that has basically all five starters or what should be their standard starting five were all gone. Right. So you should have been able to hang with this team. You should have, you should have ran this team over realistically and you didn't. And then you let them hang around and then you go cold in the fourth and the same thing that we've seen probably like of the, what is it? 12 losses now, probably of the 12, seven of them are this exact same thing where you just don't show up in the fourth quarter and you get bullied, you get shoved around. But I think the way that this whole thing is played out uh, again, you even talked about Tristan Thompson coming in. Tristan Thompson said something that I was kind of caught off guard by. He said, it's on everybody. It's on you know, sometimes I think Tristan Thompson comes across as like super authentic and super awesome. And he says some incredible things. Other times um, he talks in a cadence and I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to talk about this. And you hear the cadence in his voice and it's, it's not authentic. It goes so, off Hollywood. It's Hollywood. It is. It's Hollywood. That's what I, I see. Sometimes it's just not authentic. And yeah, and then, but I think, I think he realizes it like he knows when he's going to do it. And I think he feels like this is just what he needs to do for his team. And yeah, I think, I think, I think honestly, the reason it came off Hollywood 
is he couldn't be himself because he was trying to watch his language. That's true. He had the moment where he joked about he did not get fined for dropping like, I don't know if it was six or seven F bombs. Well, whatever the F bombs were, you could count it because we had it here on the podcast. Um, <laughs> but I thought with Tristan, he had one moment where he said, like, nobody is off the hook. Nobody, right. the the ball boy, the the trainer, the everybody. And then he said, the guy who signs the checks isn't off the hook. And so here's my problem because I, I want to, we read the Sam Amick article today and he puts a blame on, he like meddlesome. He, he used the term meddlesome with Vivek Ranadive specifically hones in on Vivek and says he is meddlesome and he tried to meddle in this situation and get Doug Christie as the head coach of the Kings. So I look at that. I'm like, all right, that doesn't, that's not good. And because now here we are again, right? We're right back in the same exact situation. I, I have had very similar conversations off, uh, you know, with, with sources we've had, I've had conversations this morning. Um, it's not just Vivek, it's Vivek and other people within the organization. I'm Matina Kalakatronis, whoever else is in there that likes to hearken back to, the good old days of Kings basketball when they, and they try to almost hide with, Hey, if we throw this guy in there, he's going to get maybe two years of, of a much longer leash than anyone else because everyone loves them, but they become sacrificial lambs, Sean. And that's where I told you very specifically, I, I'm very thankful that, Doug is not the head coach of the Kings because I like Doug and I like, this isn't reading tea leaves. This isn't like some, I'm not some, you know, you know, crystal ball reader. It's right there in front of you. You know, what's going to happen here. I know what's going to happen here. Doug would have been run out of the building just like anyone else. And I've even heard that it's possible. Doug even wanted the job and that Doug probably, if it was really on the table, they were using the Doug situation as a negotiating tool partially, but also that Doug would have taken the job. And I can't even fault Doug for that. If someone says, hey, we'll give you $3 million or $4 million or whatever they're going to offer for that head coaching job, $2 million, $2.5, that's a lot of money. Even for Doug Christie, that's a lot of money. So you have to at least consider it, but you're considering something that, is so short-term and so fleeting and has no potential for success. This team just showed you who they are. So, Sean, people want to blame Vivek. He sure as heck deserves a ton of it, a ton of it. This is eight or nine years of him doing crazy things that don't make any sense and that realistically do nothing but embarrass the franchise. Stop. Get yeah. out of there. That's well, fine. I, but I here's my it. point. Yeah. Here's my point. The players still walked out on the court, and I don't think Vivek Ranadive is going in there and giving the win one for, for Vivek speech. <laughs> That's on them. So whatever yeah. we say is happening and how bad this situation has gotten and how ridiculous it is that, that Vivek is putting up a, a guy who's been on the job for 17 games as an assistant coach as a potential replacement for your head coach, Take all of that away. 
what is wrong with the players? There's still this holy void of, of personality and rudder and decision-making and ownership of what has happened here where they literally have been flat out bad. They're flat out bad right now. They've lost eight out of nine and they are bad. They have lost two bad teams. They've lost to a couple of good teams, but realistically they are, they're one of the worst teams in the NBA right now. Right. Those are, those are all facts. I mean, I, there's just a lot to unpack there. And I will say this, like, yes, Vivek Ranadine, we, we, we know this, we know that Vivek is somebody who is uh, not, and this isn't exclusive to him. Like there's a lot of owners are like this. They're going to be a part of the decision-making. I do think there's a glimmer of hope that came out of this. And before I get to that glimmer of hope, I'm, we're going to talk about Doug Christie for a minute. All you have to do is listen to this podcast. We've been telling you he was going to be considered. Yep. We've been telling you that there was a reason he was there. Look, Doug wants to be a head coach. Doug wants to coach in the worst way. You know him. I know him. We're friends. Uh, I covered him as a player. We've known these things for a long time. He knows how these are one of 30. And it doesn't matter the circumstances. If they come to him and say, like, you have to take it. You can't turn it down. I know. You can't. And if it ends up being the worst thing for you and makes you look bad, so be it. You're paid, you're compensated. Well, he knows he can always probably go back to the broadcasting side of things. He knows he can always, he's going to live his life. He'll be fine. But But can you, can you, because I think you can, because I think, especially as a head coach, like nobody's going to put the blame on Doug Christie. They'll put the blame at management saying there's no way they should have hired this guy under these circumstances. And again, it would have been laughed at, but at least they would have been able to point at certain things and say, well, look what, look what this team did with Chauncey Billups. Look what this team did with Steve Nash. Look what Steve Kerr wasn't a head coach until he was a GM first and things, things like that. So just a long-winded way of saying like, it's kind of following a trend within the NBA. And we know that the Kings tend to sometimes do that. Um, It's an out of the box thinking because he hasn't, you know, they respect him. They think that this guy can get the most out of people X, Y, Z. I don't think that, I don't think that to your point, James, about the vilify, look, vilify or not, they just need to disassociate. And I know it comes on the 20 year anniversary of that Western conference finals team. Mm-hmm. It's not just the organization. It's fans as well. Like forget that even happened. It's been so long. Like that's the one thing you hang your hat on. Like we get it, but it's like, okay, you're, it's the best thing that happened to this organization and you should celebrate it. It's great but you don't get to pluck things from that team into pieces of the fabric of the organization, like management, possibly even ownership, um, advisors, whatever it is, outside of just being a community presence and out there for the fans, that's really all that trickles over. Like there's just nothing there. You have some good solid people there and there are, there are areas for them within the organization, but you don't need it as a head coach. And Doug can be a great head coach one day, possibly. But he, I, yeah. what he's doing right now is the best thing for him. But if you have an inkling, and again, look what, if, if you're Vivek Ranadive and you're sitting back and you're going, you know what? Hey, I wanted Michael Malone and that worked out. And then I was talked into firing him. So in a way I was, that's still looked at as a mistake. So, well, that's, that, you know, I may have ultimately given in and it was looked at as a mistake, but my intentions were right. Like Michael Malone was a good coach and look what, look what he's doing in Denver. You would gladly hire him again. 
<laughs> and Michael would probably come if he was available. But to that point, like now you've got this same thing about Doug. Well, I'm gonna, I want to trust my instincts here. And what pressure? Like, Doug, you'd be an interim head coach. Let's see what you got this year. Let me see what you have. And we talked about that. I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that. Alvin could still be right there as his assistant. He's, he's under contract through next year. Do it. Unless he completely wanted out and you'd have to figure that, figure that out. But the reality is Alvin would probably be there. What did we talk about? Alvin got fired from New Orleans and he was at peace at like this part of his life where he's like, I might not ever be a head coach again. Mm-hmm. Being an associate head coach under Luke Walton sounds pretty good. And I think he's 100% authentic in him coming here because they both spent time. Look, they're very close friends. They were spent time together with the Warriors organization. Yep. That, that Alvin was like, no, I want to help Luke. Luke is the next, he's, he's the up and coming coach. I want to help him. That's how Alvin is. He's not looking at this as going like, this is my next opportunity. My cynical ass looked at it and said, that's your new head coach. It's going to be Alvin. It's going to be Alvin Gentry. Well, well I course, thought it was- I, everyone looked at it that way. Sean, yeah. everyone, everyone knew that if the Luke Walton like success story didn't happen, which like it was our, we're already up against it. It was already almost not happening um, coming into the season. Right. That as soon as something went south, that Alvin Gentry's, I, I, but like he wanted, he didn't want an interim tag. He wanted no. a three-year contract to be the head coach of the Kings. And why wouldn't he? Like you go for it. Like he didn't get it. <laughs> the fact of the matter is he didn't get it. They, no, they figured I, out some things, but again, you talk about leverage. Well, it's like they, if they couldn't come to an agreement, Doug Christie would have been that head coach. And yeah. Alvin Gentry would have been right next to him. And I'll at say least this for this season. And, uh, but before, here's the glimmer of Go hope, ahead. though, James. Here's the glimmer of hope. What ultimately won out? Even Vivek Ranadive is not the only one that thought Doug Christie would be ultimately the guy. But at least in Sam Amick's reporting, and I can back it up from what I know, the new people who were brought in mm-hmm. to run this organization from a front office standpoint wanted to bet on the experience. If playoffs is your ultimate goal and we don't want to, you know, totally give up on the season, Alvin Gentry is the guy in our organization that can take us there. And that won out. They were heard. Vivek will always be the fly in the ointment. He told you who he was when he came here. He's always going to be the one ultimate decision maker. He's got someone like Joe Dumars who he talks to, a guy who was general manager of the year, an executive, has a great track record, both good and bad, but predominantly good Mm -hmm. um and as a guy like joe dumars with him with the front office like it's just a big think tank i don't blame vivek ronadive for being an ultimate decision maker he hires good people around him for the most part that's the idea anyway he listens to them owners that's how owners are all of them most of them predominantly unless they're like you know knee deep into the grave already most of them want to be heard and be part of basketball decisions uh sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't i don't blame him but it can be crazy if you don't listen to the people that are around you and i think oftentimes he doesn't hire great people around him how do you keep going back to the same thing though right this is we are literally caught in the definition of insanity What yep. you just tried, what we just saw was an owner who I do not believe was going to give an interim tag to Doug Christie. He was going no. to give Doug a multi-year contract. And now Doug would be, is, is that money's guy? 
we would always be asking the same question. And the fact is that it's almost like Vivek wants to sever the, the GM hired the coach like idea. That's not, it is a understood idea in the league. It's not like this is you're thinking outside the box. What you need to be have happened in that case, you need to be shoved in the box, taped up and sent packing somewhere else. Like someone needs to put a scan bar on that box and send you to Atherton for two weeks and have you stay at home while they make a decision. You have to have a GM and a coach that are on the same exact path that have the same understanding of what they want. And if, if that is where we're at, where you're trying to jam, like, here's the difference. And again, we should, it should always be looked at under my thought with Doug. it, It doesn't even have as much to do with basketball as it has to do with the fact that Doug is my friend. And I know this is a weird way to say this, but I can tell you what's going to happen here. If you want to sit down and have coffee for five minutes, I can tell you where you're going to be in three years or two years. And it's not going to be as a head coach of the Sacramento Kings. There are so many people who say, okay, the Steve Kerr situation, the Chauncey Billups situation, the, uh, the Steve Nash situation. Doug has not played in the league since 2006, 2007. It's a completely different league. And while he has been in the television booth for the last five years, that is not in, in the coaching world. That is not even Steve Kerr was, he was working as a general manager. He was working in a front office. So he understands the dynamic of where the league is and the conversations that go on between a management staff and a coaching staff all the time. All of those are pieces that, that Doug just didn't have, doesn't have at this point, the experience to do. I, again, I'm fine. If Alvin Gentry plays out this year and Doug is his, his associate head coach. And at the end of this year, or they play it out two years and Doug is a a coach in training. That makes sense to me. Even if they would have held on and did this in game 60 to Luke Walton, and then you insert Doug, that even could make sense to me because then he would have all of this understanding of how everything works. But to see it play out like this, where you almost jam somebody into a situation that, in my opinion, not only would he, he would be just like Vlade and just like Peja. And I know you, we may disagree on this point. I think he would be persona non grata in Sacramento. And mm he would not be just jump right back into the television booth. He wouldn't like, because Peja didn't just jump into the television booth when they, they didn't have anyone to fill that void. I know some of the inner workings here. It just wasn't an option. Mitch Richmond won't even walk in the building. He won't even walk into golden one center at all. He won't step foot in the building. How do you keep doing this to the people that really you're taking somebody's fandom and you're just hitting it with a shovel as hard as you can, as many times as you can until the shovel breaks. Yeah. And that's and what me, you did to Vladi, you did to Peja, you did to Mitch now. Yeah. And even if you groom Doug, like there's no guarantees there that that doesn't happen. So um, oh, of course look, not. It, the athlete yeah. ego, the athlete ego will always put it upon themselves to do all the right things. And, and, and again, like I just want to point out again, like the owner doesn't matter who your owner is the owner is going to be an ultimate decision maker still they're going to be they hired the gm the gm 
<clears throat> think of the structure. Like the GM is almost kind of like not the GM that you would ordinarily, it, whatever image you have of like Jeff Petrie, that's not what this GM is. Like there's a power structure. You have um, owner, you've got advisors, you've got, you know, it's like, it's like the Knights of the round table kind of a thing. There's a power structure GM, that you did not build. Correct. And the GM is like down that totem pole somewhere in the middle. It's almost like middle management. Think of a retail situation. You've got your, <laughs> no, no, like no shit. Like think of your, think of your retail situation. Okay. You have like a district manager. You have a store manager. You got like two big assistants. And then you have a whole bunch of like middle managers, right? Floor managers your, or yeah. department, department heads. Right. Yeah. That's where your GM is right now. Okay. And then you, you've got his, like, they're the ones that are the functioning body. Like they've got to go and function and do all these things, but ultimately your district manager, your regional manager, your corporates, the corporate's the one that's kind of making these decisions and, and helping you back your decisions that you make, but ultimately they're a big piece in the decision-making. And to me, I think it is a glimmer of hope that they were, if, if it's Vivek and other voices that were saying, oh, we really like Doug, that they listened. They listened to this. It made sense to them. It, and especially made sense to those that were telling them from that functioning standpoint of, no, we need to rely on the experience here. This is why. He challenged those people. Ultimately, that was the decision they came to. How the sausage was made kind of gets a little ugly, but ultimately you've got Dalvin Gentry, a man with 35 years experience in the NBA, a head coach. You could argue that he's not the head coach you love, but this guy is a very decorated head coach who has playoff experience, uh, a very high character man, and a guy he's who's well been of. in every situation you can think of. And he's been in an interim situation before. And most times when he's been in an interim situation, it's improved. Now, where it goes south is two or three years down the road. So again, like, for the interim standpoint, this was the right move to make. Firing your head coach 17 games into the season, wrong move to make. If you're firing your head coach before December and you have that short of a leash, that's indicative of you because you had your, you did not give, like, again, the only way I can, like, that, again, I say Luke Walton should have been fired last year. But here's the caveat that I'm willing to give them that I'm not sure I can totally get clarity on that this happened. All right, Luke's not your guy. We know that, right? You yep. want to bet on the continuity. You want to bet on the voice. I believed that. I still kind of do. So what if this was the plan the entire way, which is, well, we there's nobody out there we want to go and hire as a head coach, Alvin Gentry included. Our head coach philosophy would be to bring in somebody at the end of 2022, okay? That's when we'll really look at hiring a head coach. But in the meantime, we want continuity. We want our team to be attractive to a possible head coach. We want to be a playoff team. And we still think we can get there under Luke Walton and Alvin Gentry by his side. But if it goes south at any point, like we talked about in the training camp where they say, you know, they, they won't accept one of those long losing streaks. You were just in a long losing streak. Your coach is gone. Alvin Gentry is the guy that you can have in the interim. That's great. Like that's, that's not great, but it's, what if that falls into your, it still falls into your plan. If you're still looking at 2022 as strike when the iron's hot, find a head coach then. That gives you a whole year to look for a head coach, sign up, look at future candidates. And it also gives you an opportunity to one, consider Doug Christie. It also gives you an opportunity to consider Alvin Gentry for the long term. And again, what do we say? Alvin Gentry comes in last year, that's your new head coach. So you have all these things in motion. You're creating options for yourself. I still don't agree with 
you know, <laughs> if you're letting your head coach go before Christmas, you should have just fired him at the end of the season. Yep. But I can kind of see this blueprint, if you will, as a strategy going into the summer of 2022. What if I can tell you we should probably do this as the business of basketball? Do you have the sound effect? The business of basketball. It's not the business of basketball until I hear that. Sean, here's the problem. We've seen this so many times before. This is not the first time. But what you're saying makes so much sense. It's that Doug is going to get 65 games to understand, to, to work with Alvin Gentry. At the end of the season, Doug will be considered. Alvin will be considered. All of these things, right, should be considered. It's still not your general manager's job. It's still not his pick. It's still not your general manager's guy. Because clearly they pulled back and said, whoa, 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 what are we talking about? We're not going to do this yet. This doesn't make sense to, to make Doug Christie the head coach. We're going to go Alvin Gentry. And not only that, but we're not going to give Alvin Gentry a three-year contract, which is what he wants. So we're saying he's not our guy. He could prove to be our guy throughout the season. And Doug could prove to be our guy and get the training over the season. But here's the problem, Sean. What if Alvin Gentry isn't your guy and you also aren't super comfortable with Doug Christie as your guy, but Doug Christie is going to be on the staff, whether you fire Alvin or not. We know that this is how they've managed business. This is Bobby Jackson has been on the staff for multiple head coaches because Bobby Jackson's Bobby Jackson. We don't do things to Bobby Jackson. So now Doug Christie is Bobby Jackson on the staff. So now moving forward, Sean, no matter who is the head coach, you know, and I know, and everyone in the media now knows, and everyone who reads anything from the media now knows that Doug Christie is Vivek Ranadive's guy. And it doesn't matter who your GM is. It doesn't matter who your head coach is. He's going to be there. So now you've created like almost the boogeyman. You've he's on your staff. He's the guy that everybody wants. So what you're so, saying is, and I agree, if you're a head coach that's worth their ilk and, and you're just looking at Sacramento, you're in charge of your staff as you always are. If you're going to be suited with Doug Christie, yeah, I, I'll pass. Again, it, I guess it depends on who the head coach is. But because, again, it's only one of 30. But if you have a head, if you're interested in a head coach and throwing a lot of money at somebody that a lot of teams would be interested in, and I'm not, I don't really have one at the top of my mind at the moment. Yeah. Because we don't really know. Like, okay, here's Jeff Van Gundy. Here's a name, right? Jeff Van Gundy's out there. Vinny Del Negro's out there. Um, things like that. Kenny Atkinson. I mean, Kenny there's Atkinson, there's sure. some guys. I mean, Scotty Brooks. I mean, there, yeah. there's there's a bunch of coaches out Ones there. Ones that are that currently are... available. Okay. But the, a lot of those names were still available last summer. <laughs> yep. So um, if these are some of these names that you're out there with, okay. And you're Scotty Brooks, Terry Stotts, and you're just like, okay, well, these are these are things that I, this is what I want my staff to look like. Well, we want to put Doug on your staff too, and they say absolutely not. I am not as convinced, at least as of November twenty third, twenty twenty one, that that would be a deal breaker. 
for the who? Kings. The Kings. I think. I think there, this is where I need more clarity on. And again, Sean, I know, man. It's I know, the but... same team that has <laughs> Joe Dumars, which is basically the same. Joe Dumars is sitting there, and no one will say what he does and who he does it. What type? Well, we of know what role. he does. We just can't talk to him. We can't talk to him. He doesn't want to talk to us. And we don't know if he will be like, like it's the same thing. He's the guy. He's the question of like, what is he doing here? This he's is the man why behind the curtain. Well, he's the man behind the curtain, but at the Who's same a time, Hall of Famer. <laughs> you just can't keep doing the same exact thing. This is what it is. Yeah. Uh, like, what are you, are you going to, the point I was making is with Doug. Like if it, I, I think if I just isolate that, like if it's, I don't know that it's a deal breaker. If you're getting a coach you really want. And again, they might say, Oh, we got to put Doug on the staff and Hey, this coach doesn't want him. It's a deal breaker. I don't think it's so much of a thing that the Kings wouldn't ultimately say, well, we tried, we can maybe put Doug with the G league. Maybe we take over the G league. However that looks, whatever. I think there's options with Doug. My point being is I don't just for that isolated moment. I, I think if, because honestly, if you have a coach and you're bringing him in and this is the coach you want, and he says, I don't want Doug Christie, you as an organization can push back a little bit and say, hey, we'd really like this. It's going to be good. But ultimately, that coach is going to say, yeah, no, I, I want control of my staff. Especially, Look, there's never an instance where the organization and the head coach are in complete celebration of one another as the day he gets hired. Even if you win a championship odds are he's pissed some people off along the way and it's just never as happy like if you think of like you're of a, of a health meter in a video game you're at a hundred percent health meter when you hire your head coach that day right mm-hmm. it's never like 70 or 75 and ever ever from that day forward it just goes down even if you win a championship it can bounce back up again but you're never quite at a hundred percent as the day you hire your head coach so again if you're bringing in that head coach i don't know that it's going to be a deal breaker but that said, the deal breaker is still the power structure. And the power structure still is like this in other teams. But this one just is a lot more chaotic. Like, it just doesn't have the, uh, the buy-in. It doesn't have the, the ultimate power rests with too many people that aren't in the business of basketball. The power structure cannot be described and that's the problem the power structure still cannot be described and until that becomes you know very apparent like what you're saying is what like someone put it out there on twitter i totally agree it's because i'm a guy who has boats the best day you uh as a boat owner the best day is the first day that you bought your boat and the day that you finally get rid of it Right. Those are your two best days, right? Well, that's what you're saying when it comes to a head coach. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. And someone else, I'm stealing that from someone else. Sorry, I don't remember who said it on Twitter. Um, it's something that I've been told like a million times as as a boat owner. Yeah, the, the best day is the day you buy it and the day you get rid of it. Um, I personally don't agree. I'm on my boat all the time. So, <laughs> so with some people, yeah. yes, I agree. That is a, poss- a possibility. But, you know, so anyway, I like... Sean, I just like the clarity has to come at some point. And, and I would hope well, that we get through think, this. I mean, Monty, Monty McNair took this job knowing the situation. He's a first time GM. He, he took the situation and think about the guys that didn't come here. 
Sasha yeah. Gupta. Yeah. This is one job. And it was Monty's first. He knew he, that Joe Dumars is over him. They, they right. like Trajan Langdon. They, they could not Trajan clarify said. what Joe Dumars was. And it changed the, the, the pool of potential uh, general manager hires. Right. And, and Sean, let's, I mean, again, I, I don't know how their relationship is working out now. I think it's probably fine. Um, but you also had two guys run up for the same general manager job. One of them got the job. And then the second, the guy who came in second place was hired as his assistant. Yeah. That, that's not typical either. Like and also, coaches... I, I, also, I do think journalistically it's worth saying, and, and much like, look, the 15 years isn't on the feet of Joe Dumars or Monty McNair or anything like that. These guys have been in place for a very short amount of time. So these problems that you're seeing with this team, it's up to them to figure it out. I don't know that they're ultimately to blame because I don't think, you know, I mean, again, they haven't been here very long. They hasn't, you don't have this repeated pattern of behavior. You have the repeated pattern of behavior with your ownership. Yes. So that's to me where a lot of the negative attention can be spotlighted on because he does have people in place who he's hoping can figure this out. And the Monty McNair's of the world, the Joe Dumars of the world, um, especially within this organization, just haven't had enough time. There's not enough sample size there. It's not but going there's good. also, will there ever be a point where he That's relinquishes enough control yeah. that these guys can actually do what they're doing? So, And, he, and I, he may have. He may have. I mean, look at, again, he can have his opinions and he can be part of the decision-making, but ultimately it's up to those gentlemen to know the situation and yeah. make the decisions and hope that it gets signed off by the king. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it, you know, here we are again. And right. and you're going to continuously hear more and more uh, heaped on Vivek. That's that's what's happening now. I mean, I know Marcos Bertone wrote uh, like a a takedown of Vivek Ranadive over the weekend. Um, you know, you, you can't keep pointing fingers. Um, but at the same time, Sean, I'll just end this with, mm -hmm. with my issue is – I don't care how much chaos there is. I don't care how much Monty McNair and uh, Wes Wilcox and Ken Catanella are in a bunker and they're sitting there fighting with uh, the contingency of Joe Dumars and Vivek Ranadive and, and Matina. And there's all this, you know, all, all this chaos going on behind the scenes. I don't understand how as a player you can walk out on the court and, just play like you're you're in such a funk and that you can't get out of it because this is a talented group they may not be as talented as some of us thought they were that doesn't mean that they're not talented they are talented the fact that they just lost to a team missing five starters at home and got booed again at home that at the end of the day is on one man looking at another man and having enough pride and stepping forward and, and being better. And that is my problem with this team. Like, go ahead and you, you just cost one guy your job. It's the yep. question I asked Monty. What are you going to do about the players? What are you going to do about the players? They have laid down. I, I don't know that you can get them to stand back up. So, package are you, them are you at the that dog won't hunt stage i guess <laughs> i i mean you've lost eight out of nine last season you lost you had two nine game losing streaks you've shown that you can snap out of it and 
and pull yourself out of those those problems. But really, like this is where we are again. You did not, the Kings did not learn anything from the 2020-21 season. That's what I've learned this week. Oh, it's the, the players same. learned nothing yeah, from they, what they went through last year. They are what they are. And again, they doubled down on a very small sample size of, the, of a glimmer that they showed where it was a glimmer where ultimately De'Aaron Fox was hurt at one point and wasn't there. You know, it's, it's a, that's why I don't think you'd want to do that too often. Like if your off season acquisitions are, you know, re-signing some guys that address some issues, fantastic. Physicality being one of them. I get the philosophy, but we're, we're, you did nothing to the core of the team. You did all the fringe stuff. And you may have looked at one of these guys, Terrence Davis, maybe. I mean, we thought somebody was saying, oh, he's, he's like, he can be Buddy Heald. I was like, no, he can't. <laughs> like, I, I don't think so. Um, I think he can be Bobby Jackson. I don't think he can be Buddy Heald. Yeah, like, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, like he's not that He's not yeah, that yeah. shooter. He's I still think shooter. he can fill it. I mean, if you're looking for a six-man now, I think he can still be a really, really good six-man. I think he can average 15 points a game. And he's still very, 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 very young. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like this, I think we're at that point. And again, I think... We've been talking about it since July. Like we've been expecting a trade since July. And I'm not even talking about Ben Simmons. Like I think they've been trying to make moves. They've been, had to be patient. They've had to uh, probably turn some options down quite a bit because they felt it wasn't in their best interest that they weren't getting enough back. I think a lot of teams, well, I shouldn't say, I think I know, I know a lot of teams still look at the Kings as, This is the one we're going to take advantage of right here. Bobby McNair's the new kid on the block. We're going to fleece this team. And And especially now, especially now you're losing. So, so, and now we're going to have half the fan base saying, make a move, make a move. You got to make a move. And then you're going to have another half of the fan base going, yeah, I don't think I want you guys making the move because I don't want you to bury this franchise for the next five years because you felt like you had to make a move when you might not be here to watch those five years. It's the old Jerry Reynolds. Any yeah. any general manager that tells you they have a five year plan has no plan at all. They're delusional. Yeah, <laughs> they're delusional. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there is no there is no room for a five year plan in the NBA. And, and in fairness, and, when G, when Jerry was a GM, <laughs> like people were more patient back then. <laughs> yeah, I mean Jerry was a head coach, I think, three times, and yeah. a general manager at least twice. Yeah, and in the W, you know, so. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. We've run our course here on the King Speed podcast. Um, Sean, do you have any final thoughts? Portland ought to be fun. Like Portland comes in on Wednesday. Okay. And we talked about the schedule and how brutal it is. Um, the deer and Fox dilemma could start to look ugly again like we always talked about guys that are no names or not as the upper echelon opponents in the league that come in and kind of feed him his lunch dame is the guy that always does like dame just owns this guy except for the first game of first week of the season which i think was Partially a little dame bit of a man feeling out yes for sure for sure this could be a big opportunity for fox like if you were going to have the game of your life and I hate saying that because it's a game in November of 2021. But if you're going to have the game of your life, let it be this one against a guy that just continuously feeds you your lunch and just dominates you. Yep. Um, if he could come out and have an, just have a 40 point game, 
I know that sounds crazy to think of, but if you had a 40 point game that I think it would go a long way. I think it would speak volumes and it could be the, the flicker that switch that's lit under this team that could help turn some things around. Cause again, head of the snake, the way the team is, it starts and ends with De'Aaron Fox right now. It does. Um, even though I think a lot of people are not carrying their weight as well. hundred percent. Uh, I agree. Yeah. 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 I think Fox is the one that it's, he's wearing it. Uh, but at the same time, so many other players are, are underproducing and, and just not finding their way. And, and it's frustrating to watch. All right. So um, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings B podcast. Again, I, I want to send a big, huge shout out to Paul Jinkerson for Cowbell Crazy uh, for intro music. And of course, Jim at Brickhouse and John Bull for their work on doing logos and designs. I want to make sure to tell you to subscribe um, on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, to the podcast. Uh, but also uh, jump on the Kings Beat. You know, we're doing amazing things here. We're, we're feeding you incredible podcasts as much as we can. Uh, I'm writing all, all week long. We're doing cool things. Uh, give us a, a subscription there. And if you can, jump on for a paid subscription. Thanks for tuning in to the Kings Beat Podcast. <laughs> for Sean Cunningham, I am James Ham. Have a good Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you later this week.